Welcome to Fanfarenda Villigo News here on Waterberg Stereo. The program is sponsored by the DeWitt and DeVilliers Brokers here in Rustenburg. Today we will be talking to uh, Susan DeWitt firstly regarding the defense of Valenti non-fit in Uria. Interesting uh, case where a stunt woman, a Mrs. Jackson, was uh, in injured um, when she drove a motorbike. And uh, we will see whether the defense that she consented to the risk associated with acting as a stunt woman and consequently would not be able to claim any would not be able to claim anything from the relevant film company. So please stay tuned for that. We'll also have a chat about the uh, defense of Volenti non-fit in Uria in respect of sports activities and whether that defense can also be used, for example, for a rugby game. Secondly, uh, I'll be dealing with the question as to whether you need to uh, take over the debts of your parents where they've passed away. We'll deal with a couple of scenarios in that regard. And also the question as to whether you can draft your own will. So please stay tuned and please send us your questions and uh, comments via email to info at vvd for vvd.co.za. My name is Volker Kruger from Van Felden Duffy Attorneys, and I have uh, Susanne De Wett here with me today to uh, talk to us about a very interesting case, a stunt woman that was um, severely injured on a motorbike when uh, a boom didn't lift, and she then sued the relevant film company and also the road accident fund. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, uh, Susanne. Thank you very much for having me, Volker. Before we maybe look at the case specifically, maybe you can just explain the Volenti non-fit in Uria principle. That's a mouthful, uh, but mo most uh, lawyers will have an idea what this uh, rule relates to. So, uh, yeah, please, uh, for the sake of our listeners, uh, uh, firstly explain what the rule entails. So it, it is essentially means that a defendant is not liable where an injured person has consented to the injury or the risk thereof. Um, there are two forms of consent. Firstly, consent to injury. Secondly, consent to the risk of injury. In the case of consent to injury, the injured party consents to a specific harm. In the case of consent to a risk of injury, the injured consents to the risk of harm caused by the defendant's conduct. For example, a rugby player consents to the risk involved in a sport. The requirements for a valid consent um, is, number one, it must be given freely and voluntary. A person giving the consent must be capable of giving the consent, so they must be intellectually mature. Uh, the consenting person must have full knowledge of the possible prejudice and must accept fully the nature and extent of the harm. And this one is, uh, this requirement was very important in the case that I will be discussing. Um, the case concerned, um, as you mentioned before, is um, of a stunned woman, Mrs. Jackson, who while firm filming Resident Evil 6, I don't even recall that I've watched four or five, uh, was required to drive a motorbike without a helmet at oncoming vehicle with a camera attached to it, with extended, uh, which, uh, pardon, extended from a boom arm. 
Um, so how did the accident happen is next on, on the discussion. Uh, on the 5th of September 2016, the day in question, the boom was lifted too late and the camera struck J uh, Jackson on the head and shoulder, severely injuring her. Mrs. Jackson was driving over a bridge while the insured driver came from the opposite direction of the same highway. For the scene, the boom arm would hold the camera at a level close to the road service and then just before she reached it, it would be raised and she would be filmed passing it. A total of only three runs were conducted in preparation for the stunt. The first and second were successful runs, and the third run, uh, on the third run, the accident occurred. And I will refer to this run as the incident run. Some of the injuries she sustained were uh, she spent 17 days in a coma. Her left arm had to be amputated. Uh, she suffered punctured lungs, twisted spine, and uh, paralysis of the top left quarter of her body. So she was severely injured in this accident. She then instituted legal action, as you mentioned, against the South African film, com film company, the stunt coordinator, her employer, the driver of the boom vehicle, and the camera boom operator. She also instituted a separate action against the road accident fund, and the actions were then consolidated. When the matter was heard before the Pretoria High Court against the Road Accident Fund, uh, the RAF denied that the driver was negligent. And even so, if, if, if the driver was negligent, Mrs. Jackson, as a stunt driver, had consented to the risk of damage. That is, it raised the defense of Valenti non-fit injuria. Each party called their own respective experts at the trial, who in joint minutes agreed that the boom-up call during the incident happened at least three seconds past the location where the boom was lifted in the first successful run. The boom operator maintained and also testified in court that he was under the driver's instructions when it came to lifting the boom, and that when the driver said boom-up, it was too late. Both the driver and the operator tried to blame Mrs. Jackson for the incident, claiming that she was too fast and did not keep a proper lookout. It is important to note here that the driver and the boom operator contradicted each other to the point that the RAF conceded that no reliance can be placed on their evidence. The judge then concluded from the expert opinions um, that the driver was negligent because he did not take into account that his starting point in the successful run varied significantly from his starting point in the incident run. Because he started much further back than the test runs, this resulted in Mrs. Jackson reaching the marker long before him. And by the time he reached the marker, Mrs. Jackson was much closer to him than on the first and second runs. So now we have to ask the question, why did he deviate from the two previous test runs? The director had given him instructions that boom up had to come one second later than the rehearsal run to get a more exciting shot. And the driver miscalculated the margin of error on the command. Mrs. Jackson had no opportunity either time or distance wise to take evasive action. And there was no room for a finding of contributory negligence on her part. The judge then dealt with the Volenti issue 
Mrs. Jackson explained in her evidence that everyone on the movie set had a specific job to do and that hers had been to ride the motorcycle in a straight line at a constant speed of 70 kilometers per hour. The insured driver had, to, had the job to drive the, uh, the Freedom Arm vehicle, similarly in a straight line at a lesser constant speed, and to lift the boom with the camera over the plaintiff at a, a given point, or at least at a safe and opportune moment. Her evidence was that she did not consent to any risk and she was unaware that the director had given the insured driver instructions to decrease the safety margins from the rehearsal run to the incident run. She was never given the opportunity to consider that, uh, or con consider this or consent thereto. And this is the important part of this whole case. Judge uh, Davies found that it could not be said on this evidence that Mrs. Jackson had consented to a specific risk. She accepted the mishaps that might happen in a normal course if everyone did, did their jobs, but not to a driver not doing his job, not starting from where he should have started, not making any proper calculations and decreasing the safety margin without telling it. Even if she had voluntarily assumed the risk of harm riding a motorcycle as a stunt rider, she did not assume the risk of diminishing the safety margin without her knowledge because she assumed that the incident run would be a repeat of the rehearsal runs that was successful. The RAF therefore failed to prove the Valenti defence and the RAF was held liable, liable for 100% of her proven damages um, and they were ordered by her cost as well. So. All her traveling fees from, um, I think she's um, in America at this stage. All her uh, flights and everything had to be paid by the RAF. Interesting. Um, yeah, so, so the Valentin on Fit in Judea defense did not um, did not succeed. So, so let's go back to the rugby example that you mentioned. So let's say someone plays in a game and there's a high tackle and he's seriously in, injured. He breaks his neck or whatever might happen to a rugby player. Um, can he then sue the other player that tackled him? Uh, no, I think that's what Valentin Nonfit and Yuria means. No? You, uh, by partaking in a game that is inherently risky, you basically consent to those risks, uh, which means that even if another player is negligent, you can't sue him for damages. Would you agree with that? I think we will have to look at each uh, case separately. Um, some tackles, um, I'm not a rugby expert, please don't don't um, come for me with this one, but um, some uh, tackles are against the rules. So I would assume that if you consent to a risk of harm, you consent to um, anything that's within the scope of the game. If it's against the rules, then um, you might be successful. Yeah, I'm not sure whether you're right with that. Uh, even if there's negligence, I think uh, the defense would uh, hold up. Um, if you, if, Because, I mean, obviously a lot of rules are broken in every game. Uh, high tackle is against the rules, and I don't think if you... Um, if there's a high tackle, um, the other player that is injured can sue the tackling player as such. Uh, I think if there is any intention, then it's a different matter. Then obviously uh, there would be a potential uh, claim. I think that's pretty much the essence of the Rindifit in Yuria 
uh, defense. In other words, you can raise that defense even if you are ne or were negligent because the injured player consented to the risks that are inherently attached to that, that game. Uh, I think the same would, for example, apply to a boxing uh, match where you could obviously also get injured, etc. Um, so, yeah, that's how I would uh, argue the, the principle um, needs to be applied. But in this case, as you said, interestingly enough, um, even though she must have known that there, there are risks attached uh, to the uh, performance of these stunts, etc., the court found that the defense cannot be raised because she didn't uh, consent to those specific uh, risks yes. that, that, that caused the damages, no? Yes, if they did not deviate from the original plan, she had no case. There, there wouldn't have been any issues. Yeah, I suppose there wasn't any issue raised regarding an indemnity. I, I, she probably didn't sign an indemnity. No, there was nothing mentioned in the judgment regarding an indemnity at all. Because that's obviously the, something that, I guess, uh, 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 um, a filming company, a uh, studio company should consider, and I would think it would be standard practices to make sure that stunt uh, um, women and men and uh, even actors sign such an indemnity. So if you do have any risky business that you run or any actions that you take which might carry some risks, let's say you are a, a, a parent who takes out uh, school children to 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 uh, some activity or a, a teacher or whatever, then uh, an indemnity is always a good idea to make sure that even if there is negligence, the injured party cannot uh, sue you for, for damages. So that's maybe one lesson one could uh, learn from this, I would argue. And then uh, also, I suppose uh, insurance is always an issue. It's always an, an, an option that someone involved in any risky activities can consider taking out to make sure that if there is anything unforeseen happening, that at least there is insurance to cover the damages. Um, yeah, so that's how I would maybe um, conclude uh, what one could learn from this case. Would you agree with that? Anything that you would want to add to that, Susan? No, I think I'm happy with that. I think we'll keep a, a close eye on this. Um, this is a very interesting case. And um, yes, I think we'll have another program as soon as the quantum trial is concluded. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that can be a substantial amount of money. No? Uh, also, yes. if there's loss of income and, and uh, things like that, that become relevant. Obviously, you, 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 you're talking of uh, large amounts of money. Maybe in conclusion, I can just ask you why. Was a road accident fund involved in this? Why um, is there a claim against uh, the RAF, uh, you know, based on these facts? It, it always relates to the driving of a motor vehicle, am I right? Correct. The driving, the, the negligent driving of a motor vehicle on any road in the Republic of South Africa. So, unfortunately, the wording of the RAF, the, the act, is worded in that way that you can you can um we've had an, uh, another case that we've discussed i think i don't think we've discussed it on Waterbach, but um the accident happened underground in a mine and the rf was still liable for this so any because road in was, the republic because there was some driving of a, of a vehicle yes, but, it was know. a negligent negligent driving of a motor vehicle yes correct yeah, yeah. okay thank you Susan. thank you
My name is Falker Kruger from Van Felden Duffy Attorneys. Two questions regarding wills and deceased estates. First one is whether your children need to take over your debts when you pass away. In other words, do children have to inherit, so to speak, the debts of their parents? Now, the good news is that where the estate is insolvent, in other words, assets exceed the liabilities of the deceased, the children would not have to pay any of the debts that are not covered from the assets or funds in the deceased estate. The assets of the deceased would simply be liquidated and the proceeds would be used to pay the creditors of the estate. They would, for example, get 30 or 40 or 50 cents in a rand. And then the cost would obviously also be paid from the proceeds of such a sale. And then um, that is it. The uh, uh, beneficiaries or the children of the deceased would, in other words, not have to pay into the estate to cover the shortfall. So in that sense, you do not have to take over or inherit, so to speak, the debts of your parents. So that's the first uh, scenario. The second scenario is where the estate is not insolvent, but there's a cash shortfall. In other words, the assets of the deceased do indeed uh, exceed the liabilities, but there is not enough cash in the bank account of the deceased or cash investments with the banks or anybody else that could be used to pay the costs, the taxes, the creditors of the deceased estate. So in such a case, there are basically two options. One is for the beneficiaries of the estate, for example, the children, to pay in the shortfall, cash shortfall, to ensure that none of the assets have to be sold so that the assets can then be transferred to the children and the cash funds that they have paid in can be used to settle the costs, the taxes, and the creditors. So let's say the children are to inherit a farm and they do not want the farm to be sold. So the proceeds can be used to pay the creditors and the costs and the taxes. They are happy to pay in the shortfall or what they could also consider doing is raising a loan from the bank with the farm as security. Then together with the transfer of the farm to them as beneficiaries, the bond in favor of the bank can be registered as security and the funds can be, then be used to pay uh, or, uh, the, the, the cash shortfall in the estate. So that would also be an option. The other uh, second option would be to sell, indeed, the assets in the estate. For example, the farm, so the proceeds can be used to cover the cash shortfall, and whatever is left of the cash available in the estate would then be used to pay out to the beneficiaries as such. The last scenario is where the estate is solvent and where there's enough cash available in the estate to cover all the claims against the estate to pay the uh, costs and to pay the taxes. So that's obviously the ideal scenario. So part of any proper estate uh, planning should, I believe, also be to have a look at the cash position of the estate and uh, consider, for example, taking out life insurance if the premiums are affordable to ensure that the beneficiaries do, enough, do have enough uh, cash available to pay all the debts. Right, so I think that uh, pretty much covers the first question. And uh, as I said before, 
The good news is that you do not have to take over the debts of your parents where the estate is insolvent. Next question is, can I draft my own will? Answer is yes, by law. There's no requirement that an attorney or a notary or any other third party drafts the will for you. You can do that yourself. You can write out the will. You can type out the will, print the document and sign it. And as long as you uh, comply with all the formality requirements for a will, such a document would be a valid will and uh, can then be used for purposes of winding up your deceased estate. However, there are two reasons why we always advise our clients rather not to draft their uh, own will. The first one is the fact that there are certain formality requirements that have to be complied with when a will is signed, which an expert obviously can help you with much better. So if you do it yourself, there's a substantial risk that you will not comply with those formality requirements. We actually from time to time get clients who come to see us to assist them with the winding up of a deceased estate. For example, their father that passed away, and then it appears that the will that they have in their position was not properly executed because, for example, only one witness signed or the witnesses were not present when the deceased signed the will. Or what can also happen is that a beneficiary in terms of the will signed as a witness, which might mean that that beneficiary would then be disqualified to inherit in terms of that will. So to make sure that the relevant formality requirements are properly adhered to, the um, deceased must uh, also, uh, by the way, sign each page. The witnesses must also sign the will and everything must be done in the presence of the witnesses. And uh, they must uh, then uh, also sign the last page of the will. So to ensure that those formality requirements are complied with, I would most certainly recommend that you rather use an expert to help you with uh, drafting the will. It uh, does not cost much, by the way. Your uh, local attorney specializing in wills and deceased estates would be an ideal person to contact and to ask for assistance in that regard. And remember that uh, there's a yearly rules week where participating attorneys firm, <coughs> excuse me, attorneys firms also uh, draft a will free of charge. So in such a case, obviously, that wouldn't cost you anything at all. The second reason why you shouldn't draft your own will is um, an expert will also make sure that there are no contradictions in your will. An expert will make sure that it's clear from your will what your intentions uh, were. In other words, what should happen after you've passed away and who should benefit from your estate and to what extent. We um, often uh, sit with poorly drafted uh, wills. Uh, you can have a look at the reported court cases and you'll see that there are numerous fights between family members which uh, resulted from poorly drafted wills. So uh, once again, I would most certainly suggest that you uh, rather use uh, an expert to assist you with uh, drafting your will. That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.